Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. Hopefully this is the last time you'll hear this ad. Because with Chime checking account features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts, or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals 24. That's chime.com slash goals 24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA, members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details. Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced from the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beat brand for heart health support. The new Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Superbeats Heart Chews Advance are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Well, hello and welcome, everyone. Welcome to the China Shop. We've got the doors wide open for a special guest interview episode. I'm your shopkeeper, Dan. With me, as always, is Kyle, creator of FinancialNeptitude.com. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Oh, fantastic. Another fun day in paradise here in the desert. Right? It's getting cold out here. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we're both, I, I'm very jealous of your coldness. <laughs> jealous of your cold demeanor. <laughs> Uh, we're excited today. Uh, we have, right. I always get so excited uh, when we have these interviews. Um, we're joined by uh, Deborah W. Ellis, Certified Financial Planner. How are you doing today, Deborah? Oh, great. I'm happy to be here. I'm in sunny California. I'm not sure where you are, other than the China shop. Dan's in Tucson. I'm in Illinois. Okay. <laughs> so okay. you probably have the best weather out of all of us, I'm yeah. guessing. Yeah. Well, right now, it's a beautiful day here. Yes. Fantastic. Well, we're so glad you've joined us here. Um, why don't you tell uh, the, the listeners a little bit about who you are, how you got started and what you do? Well, um, my name is Deborah W. Ellis. I got started because I was working in the film industry 
And my father was in the film industry. And when I said I wanted a job in the film industry, my dad said he would help me get a job, but I had to be real clear that working on film production meant I didn't have a full-time permanent job. So that hmm. I had to save half of everything I made for when I was on hiatus in between projects, when shows got canceled, that kind of thing. Uh -huh. And I did. Once I started saving, my aunt, who was an avid investor, said, okay, now you have to open up a brokerage account and start investing, which I did. What was real interesting was this was like in the 90s when suddenly the stock market was skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. And I woke up one morning and said, oh my gosh, look at how well we've done and how do I no, understand what I'm doing and learn more about it. And I went back and got my MBA and then my CFP. And then I realized I was having much more fun playing with the investments than I was working in production on the set. Isn't it funny? Wow. Everyone calls it playing. You play well, stocks, you play the markets. No yeah. one ever says they're working. <laughs> well, it's like being in the medical field, you're practicing. So Yeah, right? Yeah, practicing sounds so serious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want a doctor who's actually doing it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't practice on me. <laughs> yeah. Well, when it I, it was playing because it was my own, and I was really just, you know, it, I didn't take it seriously. Mm -hmm. It's like I had a job. That's where my money came from. But the stocks were like a hobby until they sort of overcame my interests. They became. I became more interested in what the market was doing and how economics worked and the business of the markets and the serious side of it than I was in whether or not we were going to get the next shot, mm -hmm. whether or not we were losing light, you know, whether or not someone was in the right makeup or the shots were lined up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, I started working with clients. I was recruited once I got my CFP. Uh, from a large firm who wanted a financial advisory division. It turns out that after six months, they realized they really were an insurance company and they wanted me to sell insurance. And <laughs> I saw the writing on the wall and left. Right. Um, and that's when uh, Chris Schnell and I opened up Cogent because we uh, didn't, you know, I'm not going to write a financial plan for someone that explains to them why they need insurance. Right. And that was sort of the impetus that we're fee only. We don't get um, compensated by any other means than what the client pays us. We don't get 12B fees. We don't get, you know, we, if we advise or recommend a fund, we're not getting paid by the fund. Oh. The company we work for is not getting paid by the fund. I didn't even think of that. I didn't realize that was a thing. Okay. Well, that's, it is. I mean. Really? There is something that if, if I'm, a, lo a lot of mutual funds pay advisors what they call 12B, fee, 12, mm -hmm. 12B fees, which means they get a trail. Right. So if you could buy an exchange traded fund where there are no 12B fees, or you could uh, buy a mutual fund where your advisor is getting fees, if that's how the advisor makes his living, that's probably what he's going to recommend. Right. Now, clearly, and I do want to be real clear that advisors get paid one way or the other. Right. You are paying for the services. So how transparent you want it, how um, if you want to know where the fees are and what you're paying for, and that that's that's up to you. Because mm -hmm. you are paying. I don't want to make any kind of thing that I don't get paid and well for myself. I was, yeah. 
<laughs> I was looking though. Uh, I thought it was kind of interesting that you guys did go to a fee base rather than that's one of my biggest problems I've always had with the financial planners system that seems to be the norm is that everything they do with my money, if they were to every trade they make, they're taking a commission off of it. They're taking a cut. So there's like incentive to just over trade my accounts. Yeah. Whereas if you're going with the, just a set flat fee, then that incentive is now gone. Well, uh, where we're structured, our incentive is assets under management. Mm-hmm. So we charge you a percentage of assets under management. So if your account grows, we make more money. Mm-hmm. If your account falls, we make less money. Right. But uh, when we st- when I started investing, that was the standard. You ch- you paid a fee. I think we were. I was at my aunt and I were at Payne Weber, which you probably have no recollection of. You're probably mm-hmm. way too young for that. <laughs> um, but I had to have a thousand dollars to open the account, which was huge at the time. And then you had to buy. 100 shares at least. You couldn't buy three shares. I mean, you could, but it was much, much more expensive. Right. And city shares were, were $30 a share. So you buy 100 shares, so that's $3,000. Well, there's a 10% commission. You paid $300 in commissions buying and selling. 10%? I don't think, I don't know that it was 10% was a number. Right. But I do remember buying $3,000 worth of stocks and paying $300 in commissions. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Okay. That's insane. Yeah, well, that and the idea was, you know, the market, the investors were a very small group. Mm -hmm. And over time, you made a lot of money. That was the goal. So now, even if you're paying fees, what I tell people I talk to is bottom line, how much are you making? Mm -hmm. What's your growth? If you're satisfied with that, then you're satisfied with that. It's really hard to compare apples to apples. Right. It's more about what you're comfortable with. If you have a trust with your advisor, if you like the company, they've gone to a different model now where um, advisors don't necessarily get fees from what they buy and sell, but the company does. Mm-hmm. And they're encouraging the advisors, you need to sell this this fund or this or that because the company's going to make a more income on it. And if the company isn't happy, they're not happy with you and right. your job is on the line. So we really try and steer away from that. We char- I charge for a financial plan, depending on how complex. And then if you want us to manage your assets, we charge a fee based on how many assets are under management. So what goes into a financial plan then? Like what, what do you, uh, why do people need that? Why is, what are you trying to, to plan for? Everyone is planning for something different. Mm-hmm. The, the obvious, the typical is in California, I want to retire. Do I have enough money to retire? This is my pension. This is how much I have saved. This is, this is my lifestyle. And basically I tell most of my clients, this is California. You have enough to retire. You can live under a bridge in a, in a cardboard house. And it doesn't matter how much you have. The bigger question is, what kind of lifestyle do you want? Right. And that's where nuts and bolts, we have to do an analysis of all their expenses, all their expected expenses. Do they want to travel? Do they want to send kids kids or grandkids to school? Do they want to leave large assets to family members? Are they going to buy a new house? Are they going to start a business? Mm-hmm. Are they going to whatever? So what people get a financial plan for is different depending on it's you know depends on the person but a lot of times they just want a certain sense of empowerment that they know where their money is and where it's going 
Mm-hmm. And that's what I try and encourage them to understand and to know. I like to think that every dollar has a purpose and you know what that purpose is, that you know where your money is and what it's doing at any given moment. I like that. Uh, I like that mentality. Every dollar has a purpose. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> What's the, what, when people come to talk to you, are they normally young people or are they normally the older getting ready to retire? I'd say my largest group of clients right this minute are older with with large assets, high net worth. Mm-hmm. They may or may not be retired, but they're trying to figure out how to either preserve their wealth or what they're going to do with it, how they're going to live on it going forward. But I do have a lot of clients who are younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and by actually, I do have clients in their 20s and 30s who want to figure out how to save and where they're going and what they want to do. Right now, I have a client in Beijing, China, who's teaching English over there. She's American. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how she found me, but she wants to know how to set up herself financially to move forward and to be successful. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I have the full range. And then I have clients in their mid, you know, mid thirties who have businesses and don't understand that you need liability insurance. Don't understand that you need to set your business up under a certain designation, you know, a corporation or a, a S corp or a LLC or don't understand how to structure it. And they know they need some sort of financial plan to lead them through that. Oh, we so, might need to talk to you then. I'd love to talk to you at any time. I'd have to get my wife involved. She's the uh, the business manager. <laughs> I'd love to talk to her at any time off the, off the record, off the whatever. Excellent. That would be fine. But um, it, it, it runs the gamut. And the more clients I deal with, the more I understand all these different things. It's like one big question that's come up just in the last couple of weeks. Uh, a client who lives very modest lifestyle and has a significant assets and their pension isn't going to cover their <coughs> what it costs them to live every month. Mm-hmm. But it's not a problem. They have the assets. It's just my question was, okay, where, where are we taking the assets from when? Mm-hmm. How do we do that? And that was part of the planning process. Which account are we taking it You know, through the deferred accounts or the Roth or the, you know, the tax, taxable accounts, just laying all that out. That's interesting. Do you find that people have trouble pulling assets if they've been spending most of their time being savers? That's one thing that yes. I've, I've run into some struggles with. Yes, and it's it's very interesting because there is two totally separate mindsets about investing. Mm-hmm. When you're younger, it's all, how much can I save? How can I invest it? How much is it going to grow? Yep. Once you reach a certain point, it's like, oh my God, how do I preserve what I have? I don't want to lose it. Right. I would like for it to grow, but I've got $2 million in my retirement account and I don't want to lose 20%. Right. Yeah. So that sets up a whole different, what we call a risk profile or um, the way we're going to uh, allocate assets, how we're going to divvy it up. And then there are the clients who just want to take income from it they don't want to really touch the principal or barely touch the principal. Mm-hmm. And then the clients who know they're going to go through their assets in 30 or 40 years, and that's part of the plan. How much are they, can they take to make it last as long as they need it? 
and beyond because what if they live an extra five years? Right. Uh, I wish I had that mentality where I could actually spend it. <laughs> I've been spending so many years being an accumulator. <laughs> it's so hard to flip that switch and actually take the payments. Well, it's a mindset. I mean, mm-hmm. you really have to. One of the other things I really want to encourage people to do is to understand what their attitudes about money are. What were the, the rules they grew up with? Mm-hmm. You know, yes, like if you think you're wealthy, it doesn't matter how little you have, you're wealthy. If you think you're poor, it doesn't matter how much you have, you don't have enough. Mm-hmm. You know, there are billionaires who say, oh my God, I need another 10 million, you know, or another 10 billion. It's just right. like not enough. So how do you come to terms with that and move forward? How do you adjust all that? And that's part of the thing we work with with the financial plan is, well, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? You don't want to spend your money. That's awesome. But if you really want to travel to Europe for a summer and travel first class, you might want to take some of the money out. Right. You can't take it with you too. Yeah. I mean, but maybe you have heirs. But even that is negotiable because you don't know what your kids are going to grow up and want to do. Mm-hmm. Or how how successful they're going to be in their own right, or whether it's going to mean anything to them. So you really have to look at the big picture, and that is financial planning, and that is a big step. It's so, a big deal. Um, so I see that you've written two books, and you're in the process of writing a third one. That is that uh, the main topic that you're covering in your your upcoming book. Uh, being cash comfortable? Yes. Now that you define it like that, I was sort of working that all that out. <laughs> the idea, I had, a cli- I had a client, I had someone I worked with who does podcasts. What? What's her oh, name? Wow. And can we talk to her? <laughs> yes, you can. Her name is Sloan. She's wonderful. Look her up. Sloan. Okay. She is awesome. She works with women, but I, she would love to talk to you. Dan will put a dress on. <laughs> if yeah. I can get yeah, seven no, figures. I, yes. I'm, I'm already her wearing a dress makes- at the moment. That's what she said. And then in a different podcast, she helps women grow their business. That's how I know her. She's, Mm -hmm. I worked with her. She did a different podcast where she was talking about what her personal goals were. Mm -hmm. And one of them was to be cash comfortable. She uh, credited the term to Kelly Roach, who's another, you know, what is it? Coach. Mm -hmm. But the idea she said was she wants to know that if she wants to go buy a Maserati, she wants to go buy whatever she wants, she's got the cash. Right. And that's to me real old school. That's how I was raised. That's so how I was, I've always been, yes. Yeah. This raises all these flags like you're making figures. How could you not have whatever cash you wanted at any given time? <laughs> right. I hope if she hears this, I'm not offended. <laughs> um, because I didn't exactly ask her that. I can bleep that out. We'll bleep <laughs> out the amount. Thank you. Okay. You're worth bleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that brought up the whole question to me, what are the challenges and why the, that this generation or this time, I guess is a better way of phrasing it, people think credit cards are an alternate form of income. And they have no problem just running up the credit cards and paying off the interest or Hmm. uh, not saving cash. Or they have so many different things they're juggling that the money needs to go here, the money needs to go there. You know, I've been asking people, what is it that challenges you? Why can't you just go out and buy the car you want to buy? And so that concept of cash comfortable that you know you can do whatever you want to do and you know what you want to do. I mean, like, I personally don't want a Maserati, so I don't need $100,000 sitting in cash for my next car. Right. Yeah. But people in certain, in certain financial brackets or timeframes really do want that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And there's no reason why they don't. So I'm looking at what is your level of understanding with money? Where are you coming from? Where do you want to go? How do you want to do that? That gets the circle comes full loop. So you, uh, we touched on this just a minute ago. I actually wanted to ask you this uh, before we get too far off uh, the, the tangent. Uh, as far as the younger people that you have working for you, are you have you been seeing an influx of that uh, from the younger generation getting interested in investing in personal finance since, uh, we'll just say, since COVID started? Or has that yeah. been something that's been growing since before? I, I can't really say. The interesting thing was over the last year, all over 220, because everyone was locked in, suddenly everyone's worrying about the money and mm-hmm. I was real busy. You know, it's like they're sitting home thinking, oh my God, what's going on with my money? So I, I've had a big influx of all ages. Mm-hmm. But yes, I think there are a lot of younger people who are very interested. And the ones that contact me, reach out to me, generally they, for some reason, have access to some money and they're not really sure what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad about that because statistically, you know, you win a $300 million lotto, uh, 70% in, you know, five years are going to have less money than before they started. Ah, I was wondering how that's possible. They don't know what to do with it. Right. And there's a hundred people saying, come with me, my dear, let me make you a star and right. trust me, I'll put it here. And it's a wonderful <laughs> investment. And- yeah, Kyle, you give me $300 million, I'll show you how it's done. Exactly. Know, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And a couple clients I have had a large legal settlements and for whatever reason, their attorneys or however, they had the savvy to look up fee-only financial advisors and called me to go over what are their options. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have, it's, it's a habit and a skill set and a mindset investing mm-hmm. or managing your money. And a lot of people don't grow up with it. And if yeah. you don't have that kind of experience, you know, you, by the time you figure it out, I mean, part of the reason I do all of what I'm doing is it, it took me years of figuring out why is why am I making money? How how did I have so much money and where did it all go? How come I lost twenty percent in a down market? What happened? Right. Why didn't I why couldn't I control it? Why didn't I know better? How do I mitigate the risk? How do I help my clients avoid the mistakes I made? How do I help them get to the level I've gotten to? So that's part of where I'm going and what I'm doing. So what was the answer? You can mitigate risk, you can't control it. Ah, okay. Dang it. Thought she had yes. the, the golden ticket. She did. Oh yeah, the algorithm. <laughs> You're right. The algorithm that's gonna, you know, there, who, there is a uh, the quant theory that's gonna that's gonna run the market. Is that why there's a site called Quant Data? Is that what that means? Yeah, yeah. Ah. There's a whole. All these funds are calculate. You know what they put in the funds and how much. It's all quantitative analysis. Wow. The problem with that is you know garbage in, garbage out. Right. So. Uh, if you're not interested in, in understanding or studying individual stocks or different kinds of investment products, index funds or um, you know mutual funds that have good track records mm-hmm. are fine. That's awesome. You diversify a little bit. You have four or five funds, and over time, you sh- if you keep saving, you should be fine. Dollar cost average. Yeah, yeah, that's one way. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, any of the above. But my issues, because I was raised on individual stocks, that's all we had. Mm-hmm. You know, we would read value line every 
every week and pick the ones and the twos, the least risk, the most uh, possible ones that we do the research on them and we call up the broker and say, what do you think of this? And then we disregard whatever he said. (laughs) My aunt collected AT&T for God knows how long and just you know, it's the baby bills, it's split. It's like, mm-hmm. oh my God, where did that come from? AT&T is still a good dividend stock. Yes, yes. I think it's, Absolutely. it's given out, what, yeah. about 7% now? It is, again, a good dividend stock. It was, yes, good it was, point, yes. Yeah, it is again. That's like um, GE, you know, at one point we got, our analysts notified us that they were having, that their finances weren't as impeccable as they would want, and they would probably have to stop paying their dividends. So, you know, we sold it out of our client accounts and out of our accounts and that kind of thing. But then, it, and they stopped paying dividends, but it went down to what, seven or eight dollars or something like that a share? It's at a hundred now, but that's after a reverse yeah. split. <laughs> yeah. And it was a really good company still. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it was, then it was a bargain. So, you know, we bought it. That's kind of a thing. But if you aren't interested, you know, most people aren't going to sit and read all the analysis and figure all that out. That's just happens to be who we are. You know, that's what we do. Yep. That's exactly right. Uh, I think we've talked many times uh, to people that want to, they look at this like a get rich quick thing, like studying stocks and then just trying to pick winners. But the reality of it is it's a full-time job if you want to do it right. Yeah. And be successful at it. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's like, with baseball, you know, you have a 300 average. Mm-hmm. That What is that, 30%? Yeah. Yeah. So You're a Hall of Famer. You know, <laughs> yeah. We like to do better than that, but- Oh, obviously. We all do, right? <laughs> yeah. But you, you, you don't know what the next COVID event's going to be or the next yeah. Twin Towers or Black, they call them Black Swans, you know? Mm-hmm where something could happen, you just, we know that the market is really high now and at some point it'll come down. So we try to uh, diversify and do different hedge strategies and buy different kinds of things that if some things go down, these things won't go down as much. You know, there's strategies like that that we use. So So when you, do you still analyze individual stocks or do you do Mostly look at uh, like market sectors and hedge funds, or not hedge funds, ETFs and, and more broad-based baskets. I, I'm still an individual stock person. We I don't analyze. I mean, I look at the analysis that my analysts do. Mm-hmm. We subscribe to certain kinds of analysis that I believe in wholeheartedly because they follow all the things I was raised with, all the kinds of rules. Are you more of a valuation investor or do you look more at technicals? We look at value and momentum. Ah, you do like momentum. Interesting. Yes. Because, you know, right now, if funds aren't buying them, it doesn't matter how good the company is. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That's an excellent point. My husband loves Ford. Mm-hmm. Kept buying Ford, especially when there was all the publicity about the new owners and how wonderful there was all these good things about it. Right. No one was really interested. Now that they're um, going uh, electronic, suddenly there's more interest in it. Yep. But they've got a whole lot of other things going on. Oh, also clarify disclaimer: nothing that I say is a oh. recommendation. SEC, you know. Yeah, well, oh, we have our own there. disclaimer we play at the beginning of the show too, and at the end. Okay, okay, okay. Thank you. Nothing that I say is is a is a recommendation that 
or anything you could, should buy or sell right now without talking to your financial advisor. Which hopefully will be you. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fine. <laughs> be that as it may. Let's uh, let's let's pivot a little bit to the uh, the film industry. I want to know what you did in the uh, when you were getting started in that. Were you like working cameras? Were you an actor, actress, directing, producing? My father was an episodic director, mm-hmm. and. I came in as a camera assistant and worked on, uh, I worked on a little of everything. I did features and episodic, but I ended up in situation comedies, multiple, multi-film camera shows, mm-hmm. like, like a Cheers or, or uh, Bob Newhart, those are the old shows. Like Cheers or on Cheers? I, I worked on Cheers. <laughs> awesome. Really? Oh, yeah. My husband worked on it more than me. I, I didn't work full time on it, but I worked on that. I was a loader over at Paramount when Mark and Mindy was shooting and Laverne and Shirley were shooting. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And oh, the stories about Mark and Mindy, about Robin Williams were just too funny because he'd be all coked up and he'd start going on a tear. <laughs> and, oh, I love it. you know, theoretically, you shoot a scene and stop and they reload the cameras. Mm-hmm. Right? He didn't stop. Right. And the coordinator and everyone would say, just let it roll, run out of film, let it go. <laughs> let it go. <laughs> and that's what they did. And they got whatever they could get. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But he was, uh, it was, he was incredible. I mean, he was such a loss. He was such a loss. I remember watching one of his first stand-up, uh, he was one of the first stand-up uh, uh, videos I watched uh, God, back in, when I was in the Navy. Yeah. And you talk about, yeah, he looked coked up. <laughs> he was just yeah. rapid fire. Like, I ah, never, yeah. never hear a guy tell that many jokes so fast. But that's the interesting thing about him, because even when he wasn't, mm-hmm. his brain just God knows what his brain was on, you know, what was going on up there. He, he just, he was incredible. Mm-hmm. He was incredible. So, so are you the person that we should pitch our film idea to then? 20 years ago, maybe. Oh, okay. You missed that boat, though. Dang it. And unfortunately, I've been out of the industry long enough and everyone has changed enough that I really don't, wouldn't know who yeah. to tell you to go to. The best thing I would say is shoot it yourself, put it on on YouTube, and wait for the mobs to call you. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so I worked in camera, and then on a multiple film camera show, there's something called a technical coordinator, which is a uh, director's guild job. Mm-hmm. So I joined the director's guild and worked in that capacity, and I maintained my membership in the director's guild because I just was so proud of it. That's what my father was a director in the director's guild. And I just, you know, that to me meant a lot. Camera was fun. Sounds like a lot of fun being around Robin Williams, but I know I did television production uh, when I was coming out of high school. I started working on independent film sets and I found that I don't want to be making movies because it's so boring. Like, all the waiting, all the setup. Oh, yeah. Hurry up and wait. <laughs> Come on, guys. Just turn on the camera and go. No, it doesn't work like that. Right. No. No. Especially in features. You know, I mean, they let their lighting and it's like three hours later, you know, and then they, and then how come you're, and then hurry up because we're behind schedule. Uh, it sounds like just about every job I've had, actually. 
has a little element yeah. of that hurry up and wait. Yeah. What did you do? What have you done? Um, well, in the military, it was just obvious. I mean, hurry up and wait. No, it's not. Kind of a motto. <laughs> you know, what, part of what, what part of the military? What did you do? Uh, I was in the Navy on the submarine. Oh, my God. Yep. If we were in port, like normally we got like maintenance and stuff that we have to do. So in order to do the maintenance, you have to have a plan to lock it out or tag it out uh, in the military. So you get the prints and everything put together. You, you figure out where you want your isolation points to be. You have a second person verify it. Then you have to take it to the officer that, uh, who's in charge of the engineering and prove it to him that it's going to be safe to work on it if you follow this plan. Well, there's only one guy and there's everybody trying to get their work done. So you're, oh, wow. you're just sitting around for hours waiting to get your tag out approved so you can just go start work. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what, what about when you're underwater? Uh, underwater is a little easier because uh, depending on which division you're in, there's certain ones that have a lot less to do and there's certain ones that have a lot more to do. Well, what about the whole concept of being in a submarine underwater? Oh, um, as far as like me just... I mean, it's not a Disney ride. Like, you know, that's the only submarine I've ever been in. You kind of just forget about it. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. uh, yeah, you just get into a routine and then the days just kind of go on. It becomes one long day. Call your uh, where you sleep. It's called the time machine. As you go fast forward eight hours and try to make it go by a little quicker. <laughs> oh wow, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Thank you. Yeah, um, steel mills kind of the same thing. You got to get everything all ready to go, but then you have to wait for everything to step down so that way you can actually get your job done. Yeah, but it's go 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 because every minute you're down costs hundreds of dollars. Yeah, absolutely. Do they pass that pressure along to the employees? Oh yes, of course. The worst part is when you have to answer your, all your managers who keep calling you asking if it's fixed yet. Is it fixed yet? Is it fi what would be if you get out the phone and let me do it? <laughs> 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 I think uh, yeah, I think one of the, the person in charge, one of the managers, the shift supervisor, he, he was on the phone with somebody asking what was going on. He tried to hand it to me while I was fixing, in the middle of fixing the problem. I had it identified. I just hung it up and handed it back to him. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> I was like, call him back in five minutes and tell him it's going. <laughs> That's funny. I was going to ask about the other books then. Uh, you had two other books that you got published, Women and Wealth and Your Money and You. Uh, what are those about? Well, Women and Wealth was, the intent was to empower women to take more control of their finances, mm -hmm. to not just have their husbands or their financial advisors or their whoever tell them what they should be doing with their money. That I, my intent was that they get a better understanding of what money's all about and what they need to watch out for or pay attention to. Mm -hmm. So that was that. That's the one that gets read a lot too. It's a, it's a Amazon Kindle. Oh, and you know you can you're part of that. I'm part of that thing where you can pay a monthly fee and people and read whatever you want on their lists. Mm -hmm. So that gets read. My first book, um, Your Money and You was more in hindsight. It was, look at how smart I am, and aren't I clever? Look at how much I know. <laughs> and it wasn't, uh, it, the intention wasn't necessarily to sell it. It was to be able to walk into a prospective client's office, thump it on the desk, and say, see, I'm credible. Uh -huh. Give them a copy of the book. They may never read it, but they'd thumb through it and look at it and see the chapter titles and stuff and say, well, okay, you know, she might be worthy of talking to. That's smart. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Women yeah. And, we'll make sure we put some links to that in the description, by the way, too. Women and Wealth. Thank if you. anybody wants to check that yeah. out. You don't have to be yeah. a woman to read it. No. Right. <laughs> you don't. No. Just put on your dress. You're good to go. No, there you go. <laughs> 
So is it like going to a car mechanic as a woman? It's just like a completely different experience when you invest money. They give you a different female account. That was what I was going to say. The one critique I got about the book was that it didn't it didn't seem geared it didn't seem geared enough towards gender specific topics. Oh, really? At most, yeah, the book, the oh. way I wrote it, because it was, you know, I wrote it in the last year, and this has been such a gender diverse period, like what pronouns am I using and mm -hmm. is it okay to say that? Mm -hmm. So really the information is pretty non-gender specific, but right. the idea was hopefully that women, women would read it and say, yes, that applies to me and I need to understand this and I need to understand that. Mm -hmm. And historically, my take on it, from you know me growing up, women had had you know I just my grandmothers and and the older generations, oh yeah, your father's taking care of everything. I'm not worried about it. And then and had no idea where anything was or or if there was money or how they were going to do it or what was going on. That's, that's that kind of a thing. That's interesting because my experience uh, has always been that the women have been very competent in my family as far as their money management skills. Huh. Like yeah. Even though, even though my grandpa, you know, managed the money, my grandma was phenomenal at, you know, saving it, understanding it and planning like major purchases yeah. and trips to Germany. And like, they taught me a lot of what I know about saving. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Man. That's awesome. That's something I love to hear. That's great. There was a, a legend in my family about my grandmother. Yes. You know, being in, in the fifties and sixties or, you know, that, that whole mentality of like, oh, the husband's going to manage the money. Yeah. And uh, she apparently behind his back was doing her own money management. She wanted to buy, a, she wanted a new car. And he's like, we can't afford a new car. You can't have a car. So she just went out and bought one with her cash that she'd saved. Yeah. And like became you this go. legendary you woman. Go. There you like, go. Margaret brought her own car yeah. with her own money. How did she do that? It was like this mystifying feat she pulled off. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> that's a, that's a great story. My, my mother was raised in a very, very, very wealthy family, and she used to say, I don't care about money. I don't need any as long as I have a horse between my legs and a brown paper bag lunch. Mm -hmm. What she did not acknowledge was that she'd go to her grandfather's ranch as a little girl. The cooks would make her lunch, prepare the brown bag lunch. Mm -hmm. The table guy would, would saddle her horse and groom it and everything and bring it to her. She'd get on her horse with her brown paper sack lunch and go for a ride and come back. Someone would take the horse. Dinner would be on the table. You know, she had like no concept of money <laughs> at all. Never needed it before. Why would I need it now? Yeah. 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 I mean, of course, it'll get taken care of. It's there. That was her concept. And my aunt, on the other hand, was the one who taught me all about investing. Mm -hmm. And so she, she was the one who ended up with the most money because she lived beneath her means. She was a second grade school teacher in Burbank, California. And she always saved money every week. And her and her mom, my grandma, would invest it in, in stocks mm -hmm. and just let it grow. So what were some of her, you mentioned AT&T, what were some of her, her good finds? Uh, remember when McDonald's first came out uh -huh. <laughs> and it was doubling every, you know, the value, the price of the stock doubled every year because they were building franchises right. all over the 
Yeah. Oh, man. Disney at the time was awesome. Mm. I think Sarah Lee, she liked Sarah Lee at the time. I'm trying to remember what else. You know, I kept her records. I kept a lot of this stuff. Oh, man, you should publish that. That'd be a good book. Yeah. <laughs> I, I never really, I didn't think of it. But, you know, she'd keep a log of what I bought and what she bought and how much we put into it and, you know, what dividends we're paying and what the value of it was on any given week and that kind of thing. And I go back and look at all that. It's, it's, it's very heartwarming for me. Mm-hmm. But that's where I learned. And she subscribed to something called Value Line, which was the um, an a- analytical journal that came out once a week. Mm-hmm. And every week they'd have different stocks in it and give a description of it and you know the goods in the bags and rate them. Mm-hmm. And we'd read that every week. That's awesome. I love hearing that kind of stuff. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Uh, well, Dan, do you have any other uh, questions or anything else that we should cover? Yeah, I was wondering, what, what was your biggest uh, obstacle when you started learning financial stuff and investing, learning it from your aunt? What were, what were the, the, biggest, the biggest stuff that got in your way before you poured all? Not understanding the concept of mitigating risk. Mm. <laughs> I really, really kept going to school thinking, I'm going to figure out how to control the market. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get the right algorithm. I'm going to get the right formula. There's got to be a way to do this. Because, you know, you watch people making billions of dollars. Right. And you don't see all the blood, sweat, and tears as they're growing their business and building it. And watching the market go up, having nothing to do with me. I guess, you know, I look back at it. Yeah, we picked good companies. We did do that. Mm-hmm. But the point was, there was a point where I had no idea... I knew that it could go down and would go down because I had watched, you know, several semi crashes and stuff in 87 and things like that. But I didn't really understand that you can, that that's okay. Mm -hmm. That if you're investing for the long term and you're not taking the money out, you're good. Right. I just, there was, I went through that phase where I thought, oh, it'll keep growing. That's fine. Just you spend what you want. And then you wake up one morning and the market's down 20 or 30%. You go, oh, what happened? Oh, crap. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so getting a, a real sense of what it, the, the work, not the play, but the work, the reality of it, the seriousness mm-hmm. of it was probably my biggest um, challenge. What would you say the biggest challenge of the people who come talk to you Um uh, uh, typically, at least, or at least on average, they really. Um, I'm trying to think of different cases. What I have one client who has all his funds in Fidelity. Diverse. Mm-hmm. We call it diversification as opposed to diversification. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's all. It's all in funds, right? Mm-hmm. Different Fidelity funds. Yeah, and they're all good. Nothing's wrong, and he's done real well. But when I analyzed it, he had 21,000 individual holdings. Oh, wow. You know, one fund has 3,000, one fund has 500, one fund has this, that, that. I sat and added them up. And then, of course, there's a lot of overlap. Right. But 21,000 individual assets, it's like pick 10 or 12, pick 15 or 20. (laughs) Right. Exactly. At that point, you may as well be just in the, the entire stock market ETF. Well, you you are. <laughs> you are, yeah. <laughs> Except your weighting's all wrong. Yeah, and I really, you know, respect John C. Bogle. Why look for a needle in a haystack when you can just buy the haystack? Okay, uh-huh. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but if you know what you're looking for and you know how to 
look for it. Why buy the haystack? Why don't you just buy the few things you want? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Warren Buffett. There's a lot of you know, junk in that haystack too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Warren Buffett bought, well, Warren Buffett can buy the whole company and yeah. then he can run it and he can make sure that right. who's ever managing it is managing it the way he knows it needs to be managed. Mm-hmm. That's the one as, that's the one advantage he has that we don't have because we can look at management. We can look and see how they're running it. We can approve or disapprove. I mean, not just me, not just the company, just people, everyone. Mm-hmm. But you can't go into the CEO and say, "Look at you can't run it at a deficit. You have to make it balance." Right. Warren can, and I think he has. Oh yes. Yeah. He's done quite well for himself. Yeah. All started with nothing but a dream and five million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was $10,000. Was it 10? He okay. At, he worked at his father's company and he got people to invest in the first 10 years. I th- first so many years he lost money. Mm-hmm. And then it kicked in and then, you know, people who put in $10,000 however many years ago have multi millions now. That's funny too cuz yeah, a lot of people uh it, it t- you like you're paying for your lessons when you're you're learning how to invest. Yeah. One of the the best things that, or pieces of advice I remember hearing from George was to start with a small account while you learn cuz that way it limits your your risk. Yeah. If you you can blow out a small account multiple times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you load it up with your life savings and uh you don't want to you don't want to mess that up. I know one of the things we did in school was we did a hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't actually put money in. We, but we tracked, we picked up what we wanted to invest in and tracked it over a period of time mm-hmm. to see how it did. Um, but yeah, you have to, if, if you want to learn it yourself, you just have to learn it step by step. You don't want to throw all your money in. <laughs> you can put it in a, put it in a, you know, 500 S&P 500 index. You'll do exactly what the market does, good, bad, or indifferent. But if you're looking to how to pick stocks or how to do that, or you want to, if you want to learn, understand it, it takes time and having an advisor help you mm-hmm. is good. And that, that's, that's the thing is a lot of my clients, they want to do what they're doing. They don't want to be managing the money. Mm-hmm. That's why they come to me. They ha- either have a business that they're really good at and love doing. And now the mo- there's the money there. What do they do with it? Mm-hmm. Or they're retiring and then when they travel or do this or do that and the mo- there's the money, what do they do with it? And they've read about fee only and they like the concept better than commission or anything like that. And I'm, you know, really appreciative and grateful and I, d- I want to empower them and help them whatever they can. But I also have clients who just really want to understand investing and learn about it. And I try and set up a education kind of a environment mm-hmm. so they can learn and grow. We need to start doing that. We need to do some outreaches to some schools. We need to start teaching kids much younger age because it seems like everybody who gets interested in it is coming in way later than they should have. Yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of a tough call here in California. You know, every kid has their, their you know, kids walk into Starbucks with $100 bills. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, uh, and my daughter worked at Starbucks at one point, and she told us that, it, that at one point someone – they didn't have change in the cash register, and what they were told to do was let them have it for free. Wow! So that's not going to encourage kids to understand money. No, no, no. 
I've got so much money, I don't have to pay for things. Yay. That's right. so great. <laughs> yeah. You owe it to me. I should get it for free. So, under, you know, how you how we teach the kids, how they understand money, when they kind of figure out what to do with it or that they want to do something with it, that's a whole philosophical thing I don't even know how to touch. But yeah. I would like to write children's books. I mean, at some point I would like to write books for children mm-hmm. or younger adults to understand their money, to help them understand their money. But uh, uh, there should be a market for that because I don't recall ever seeing anything along those lines there are a few are there there are a few out there yeah yeah there are i can't remember the titles offhand but well they must not have been good then yeah <laughs> or people are interested oh they'll be interested somebody will be interested yeah the people who are interested you'll make a difference in their lives that's what matters that's what matters yeah all right well deborah thank you so much for for coming on the show and joining us uh, it's been such a fantastic wonderful conversation Oh, yeah, it's been so great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I really enjoyed talking to you both um, anytime. Anything I can do to help, you know, just reach out to me, let me know. And um, please let me know when this recording, when you air it. So oh, I of can course. Hear yeah, it yeah. and yeah. send people to the to the podcast. Before we go, do you want to one more time uh, let people know where they can find you? Yes, Deborah W. Ellis, D-E-B-O-R-A-H, initial W. Ellis, E-L-L-I-S, dot com, Deborah, W-L-S dot com. There's a, I'm on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and uh, you can call, I can give you a phone number. Uh, sure. 805-585-5424, extension two. I'm writing this down so I can put it in the description too. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and awesome. you work with people awesome. outside of California too. You doesn't have to be yes. just located in California. No, you can be any, actually anywhere in the world pretty much. We're registered in Colorado, California, and Hawaii, but honestly, we have clients in a lot of states. Once we have over so many clients in a state, we have to register, but that's just easy paperwork. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no reason we would not take a client anywhere. Awesome. And then we've also got your books, uh, Women and Wealth, Your Money and You. We'll have links for those in the description and your upcoming book, Being Cash Comfortable. Yes. And anyone who uh, wants to reach out to me, I will send them a PDF of either of the books. If oh, they're that's interested. awesome. And offer them a 30-minute complimentary consultation for their specific situation. Awesome. Wow. Oh, you know okay. what? Let me give you my email address. Oh, All yes, right. please. D-E-L-L-I-S at cogentadvisors.com. That is C-O-G-E-N-T. A D V I S O R S dot com. Excellent. All right, Dan, you want to take us home? Well, thank you. Thank you again. We, it's been such a great time talking to you. you. This is the first actual financial advisor certified that we've gotten on the show. So we're, we're just so grateful. Uh, you're such a wealth of knowledge. Anybody out there uh, interested, that, that email, D E L L I S at cogentadvisors.com. We're going to have the phone number in the episode description. Great having you and uh, happy trades, folks. All right, bye. Bye. Thank you. To 
Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks in the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.